the amount of data that the person would have to transfer to me, it was like impossible to write down. Hello and welcome to Terrifying Robot Dog. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about how technology is changing the way we interact with the world. This week is Hypothetical Gadget Week. Please stay tuned. Terrifying Robot Dog is next. What are we talking about this week? Um, this is this is the week where I just come up with gadgets that I think should exist. <laughs> nice. I mean, I almost made an artificial intelligence comment, but no, oh, thanks. <laughs> Actually, both of them do sort of relate to AI. Oh, cool. There is there is a starting point for all of this, though. I was I was reading an article recently from uh, NASA JPL about uh, a program they're working on to help firefighters in going into burning buildings and that sort of thing. Basically where they just load the firefighters down with sensors and, and load the area around the fire down with sensors and collect all of this data. And then they have an artificial intelligence that sort of chews over that data and can make recommendations on how best to fight the fire or immediate dangers that they might not see and that kind of thing. Wait, this is real? Yeah, this is real. This is this is um, coming out of... Uh, it's NASA, NASA JPL and uh, some other organization. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's been a couple of weeks since I read the article. Mm, cool. Sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were talking about expanding that to other emergency services like law enforcement and, and EMS going into uh, potentially dangerous situations and that sort of thing. But yeah, it sounds really cool. Mm, okay. So what's the hypothetical gadget? The hypothetical gadget is, well, there's a couple of them that I came up with out of this. And first one I think is kind of obvious but if we're gathering all this data about how to fight fires we should just be fighting fires with robots ah duh yeah i thought about it for a while and i thought well there's all the heat and the electronics and stuff but then i thought well i don't know that a circuit board is really any more sensitive than an exposed piece of flesh so we have we have ways of protecting things from the heat right i was thinking i you read my mind i was like well it's gonna be more durable than like your guts (laughs) which is probably not hard to do right right it's gonna cook at a higher temperature than your fleshy meat bag Right. Um, <laughs> and it could be all sorts of different, you know, it could be like a, like a, you know, like a terrifying robot. It could be like dog shaped, mm-hmm. which would probably be pretty good in terms of stability. And, in terms of stability and, and getting into smaller places and that sort of thing. Yeah. This is like Iron Man. This is like a whole plot of Iron Man. <laughs> it's like saving people. Um, this kind of, kind of on some level kind of already exists in the form of like radio controlled drones dumping water on um, forest fires and that sort of thing. Mm. But... It just seems like we could take a, a, a terrifying robot dog-esque robot and combine it with all of this data that's being gathered and uh, find ways to at least assist in fighting fires that, that don't involve real people putting their lives in danger. Man, that's so obvious when you say it, but it never would have occurred to me. It's kind of like the, the, the bomb-sniffing robots that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that iRobot built for the Army. Same concept, but so I, I wonder... How far the current technology would need to progress to get to a point where it was comparable to humans in terms of because the, the safety would clearly be way better, mm-hmm. and the the technology I think would need to do two things for it to become feasible. One is that it need to be as good or better effectiveness wise. Yeah, it needs to be fast. It needs to be fast. It needs, it needs to, to be, be strong. Water's yep. heavy. Yep, as strong. I think the strength thing is probably. I think the speed sounds trickier. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, you could, you could have, you could have actual firemen, you know, air quotes, driving them if you wanted. You could, or, or you could also just have the robots working in addition to 
mm-hmm. actual firefighters, and it would it would still help reduce risk. Mm-hmm. Even if they even if it was just drones that got deployed outside the building to spray water in at key locations or or things like that. Mm-hmm. So the other big thing, of course, is cost. Like, uh, uh, yeah, probably probably safe to report that it would be way more expensive for a a robot firefighter than a real firefighter, which seems kind of harsh when you put it like that. It it is kind of harsh when you put it like that. In terms of in terms of dollars spent, then yeah, uh, a real human firefighter is going to be more expensive. But if you if you measure it on the cost of human life, then it's a, you know it's a different scale. I I live in a like a pretty small rural community, and I know two people who've died fighting fires. Jeez, yeah, I know people have been injured, but man, that's harsh. So so who where would this where would this most likely emerge first? Actually, I, I guess where I kind of see this first would be maybe like, of course, in larger cities. And like, I don't see why couldn't the robots be part of the fire suppression system that already exists in the building? Yeah, like fire it's extinguishers. Just they're waiting. Yeah. 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 It's like part of the building. Yeah. Like this is our robot firefighter in this closet. Yeah. It's like you've got sprinklers, we've got fire extinguishers, and we've got robot dogs. Mm-hmm. Nice. That makes a lot of sense, actually, because then there's there's like a financial incentive to, you know, spend whatever it would be, $100,000 on one of these robots. To put it in your building and lower your insurance costs. And it's not, yeah. it's not, putting, it's not putting the cost on the government that's trying to maintain the, the infrastructure, the, the emergency services. Yeah, or trying to convince, you know, your local politicians having to raise taxes and trying mm-hmm. to convince the populace that, oh, no, no, these robot firefighters will be better. Meanwhile, you could probably get the firefighters arguing against them. No offense, no offense, firefighters. I don't know, that just seemed like it seemed like an obvious thing. It's like, well, if we're collecting all of this data, yeah, and we have the computer to make these recommendations, why can't we have a robot doing them? <laughs> mm, I dig it. That's a good one. Get to work on that internet. Yeah, yeah, internet, make it happen. Get it, <laughs> get an Ar- get an Arduino and super soaker, super soaker and an Arduino and some skate roller skates and and have at it. <laughs> Lego Mindstorm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I've got a set of Mindstorm. Boom, done. Maybe, maybe I should maybe I should get on this. Nice. Is what scale do you think is the right scale? Could you do like is there any way you would deploy those sort of cockroach-sized minority report? Uh, those are those are probably more important for like reconic reconnaissance and data gathering than being able to actually do yeah. anything you know, finding people who are stuck or, you know, where the actual source of the fire is or something like that. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because you could employ a whole bunch of different types of robots. You could have the little cockroach-sized ones crawling around gathering data and and looking for people, and you could have larger ones actually controlling the spray of water or chemicals to fight the fire, and others that modify, like, knock down walls, that sort of thing. Hmm, Yes. It doesn't have to be one all-purpose firefighting bot. It can be a, a, like a team of each bot specialized. Very cool. Yeah, I dig it. Yeah, that was my first hypothetical quote-unquote gadget. It's a fairly involved gadget, but that, that was where my brain went when I read that. <laughs> Excellent. My, my second gadget was uh, oh, similarly inspired by this, that if they have all these sensors that are using, they're using to collect all this information and then have this AI that does all this analysis on it. What if it got to the point where these sensors were so cheap to produce and they were basically disposable or maybe even an app on your phone? And you could just hand them out to people and they could just like volunteer to wear them and carry them around as they went about their, their day-to-day lives and just gather a bunch of information on like an area. So, okay. 
what's the motivation for the person to sh- to gather and share the data because because you know the, the, all the privacy wonks will be like uh it's an invasion of privacy yeah. to be yeah, see, that's my thing, is the motivation for this person to gather and share data. I mean, you wouldn't have to tap the thing on in your house, but the idea would be, like, if you're out walking around or, or traveling someplace or going to different businesses and that kind of thing, because the motivation for it is, in my head, it's kind of altruistic, because then you take all of this information um, and you gather it up into into useful useful data, and then you give that data to someone who's, like, say, a blind person who's trying to get around the city or someone in a wheelchair who, like, needs to find wheelchair ramps and accessible things and that sort of stuff. Hmm. So you end up with a... Okay, so I definitely love the idea of having a sort of 3D map of this environment. Very interesting. And perhaps... This is kind of the same problem self-driving car companies are trying to solve. Yeah, I guess it kind of is. But this would be off-road or, you know, both. It right. would really yeah. be everything. And you could imagine, like, uh, you could imagine this getting implemented and, and people participating in, like, a college campus environment mm-hmm. where people install an app on their phones and, you know, during whatever, the, the first month of classes, it kind of maps their environment as they move around mm-hmm. and then shares it to a central database and then what so now like how would it become useful the other way around so like once the data is in there how how would it become useful to say you know somebody who's blind uh i think it would become useful in that uh for one it would make for much better guided navigation so let's say they had some sort of device with an earpiece that could tell them such and such building is on your left uh, there's a ramp over here i mean it would have to track your location within the space as well mm-hmm. so it could it's a it, could basically say, okay, there's, there's a ramp that goes up over here. Um, hmm. you know, there's these points of interest. At, like, here's the cafeteria on the left. It has these restaurants, and this is how you get to them, and, and that sort of thing. I'm thinking, I'm thinking primarily it's just like a navigation aid. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so this is, this is giving me a weird flashback to when I used to deliver newspapers as a kid. <laughs> okay. All right, so like, like let's walk through this product quickly. Okay. So... I, one time, I, uh, this was, I, I had my license and I needed to cover somebody's paper route for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if everybody's familiar with how a paper route works, but you know, you're in your car, you've got a giant stack of papers. Uh, it was, it was like the middle of the night because it was the morning paper. So maybe 4am I'm driving around with this big stack of papers and you're going house to house, like last mile post office type stuff. And and it was a very weird, it was not a grid of streets. It was very squirrely, like lots of little, it was like, it was like a, a wooded area, lots of little houses mm-hmm. and curly roads and very confusing. And some of those subscribe to the paper and some don't. And- yep. And every and every single one of them had their own preferences, preferences about where they wanted the newspaper in the mailbox, in the newspaper box, inside of the front door, inside of the back door, under the mat, very picky. Mm-hmm. And it was like... The amount of data that the person would have to transfer to me, it was like impossible to write down. Like, how would you even... So they did this super clever thing. Now, this was in the 80s, and I had a cassette player in my car. Okay. And the person who did the route the day before... Narrated it for you. And they had a tape player rolling, and they just talked through the whole thing mm-hmm. in real time. Not you know, So there were long gaps where they were driving down a longer road, and they didn't say anything. And it was like I had it was like esp so i'm I'm sitting in the car listening to this person you know i throw it in the thing it's like okay um you start here and so i pause the tape until i get to the spot it's like okay it, and it would be like 
see that street sign up ahead on the right. You can barely see it behind the stop sign. And I'd be like, yeah, I can. It's like, okay, drive up there. And so then the person would drive up and I'm driving the same speed roughly. Yeah. And it was like, okay, now take it right here. Now see the doghouse over on your left. <laughs> you want to put the newspaper in the screen door behind the doghouse. That's really cool. <laughs> right. So now, but imagine, but it was static, right? So like, imagine if it wasn't static. Yeah. If that was dynamic. Right. Yeah. That it took all of that sensor data and mashed it into a format that could respond to where you were instead of me having to keep up with the tape, mm-hmm. so to speak. So like in a, in the paper route example, I could have taken any left turn and it would have been like, um, okay, if you're going to go this way, then it would kind of like skip to the spot that had the information I needed based on where I was. Right. And then, I mean, you can imagine it just fast, you know, jumping, skipping ahead and then skipping back and skipping, skipping around in the, in the recording to kind of make that happen. So it'd be wild to imagine if it was just totally random access and you get into like a, a region, like a food court. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my first thought was this was for, for people with disabilities, but it would also just be really great if you were going someplace unfamiliar for the first time. Yeah. Like a tour guide. Yeah. But you could go around. You didn't have to follow the tour. You could go around. So you'd be like, you get to a, a spot and it would know which way you were facing. And so it would be able to say stuff like, okay, on your left is the best uh, Italian restaurant in town. Over on your right, you know what I mean? Where Because yeah. normal, normally it would have to be like face north. Okay. To your west is, uh, yeah. man, that's that's really, that's fascinating. So I, I think museums kind of do something like this. I think they kind of do. I don't know that they're this intelligent. It might be more... Well, I guess it's I guess it's better than it used to be, where it's just you get a tape and you play it and you go around because now there are are, are stations like like geo and geofencing stuff around exhibits and that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, but this would be more more crowdsourced. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Yeah, more more crowdsourced data gathering versus geofencing. Very cool. So obviously, Pokemon Go would be the source of the data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can start there. <laughs> All right, cool. I think we have to leave it there. Little yeah, thought provoking. Off to other things. Yes. So, internet, get on it. Yep, make it happen. That's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for Terrifying Robot Dog. Bye. Bye. Would you like to support Firefighting Robot Dog? <laughs> Just think of two friends who would dig the show and send them to terrifyingrobotdog.com for links to iTunes, Facebook, and RSS feeds. If you don't have two friends, you can still help us out by leaving a nice review in iTunes. Thanks.